Greetings, ghouls and gals. Welcome back to the Ancient Art Podcast. I'm your ghost of a host, Lucas Livingston. In the spirit of Halloween, with monstrous fiends and tortured souls lurking about in dark shadows, I bring you this haunting episode of a mythic monster from the classical world, the Gorgon Medusa. In the lineage of the earth goddess Gaia, Medusa is a chthonic being, a creature born of the chaotic shamblings from Earth's dark abyss, much as we encountered in previous episodes exploring dragons from ancient myth and legend like Python and Typhon. The monstrous Medusa is well known to modern souls, so fiendishly ugly with twisted snakes for hair that a brief gaze upon her visage will transform you to stone. In the 7th century BC poem Theogony, among the litany of the origins of the myriad of hybrid monsters and creatures conjured up in the minds of the Greeks or imported from neighboring cultures and myths, the poet Hesiod mentions the children of Ceto and Phorcus, themselves sister and brother by the earth goddess Gaia and the primordial sea Pontus. Among these children are Medusa and her two sisters, collectively known as the Gorgons, from the Greek word gorgos, meaning grim, fierce, or terrible. And again, Keto bore to Phorcus the fair-cheeked Gryae, sisters grey from their birth, and the Gorgons, who dwell beyond glorious ocean in the frontier lands towards night, where are the clear-voiced Hesperides, Theno and Euryale, and Medusa, who suffered a woeful fate. She was mortal, but the two were undying and grew not old. With her lay the dark-haired one in a soft meadow amid spring flowers. And when Perseus cut off her head, there sprang forth great Chrysaor and the horse Pegasus. We learn a lot from that short passage in the Theogony. We learn that the Gorgons were sisters to the Gryae. Those are the three elderly crones who share one eye and one tooth between them. And we learn about the three Gorgons, Steno, Uriali, and Medusa. While Steno and Uriali are immortal, Medusa learns the hard way that she indeed was not. Perseus, the hero of the modern film The Clash of the Titans, beheaded Medusa, and he was extra clever about it. As Medusa's gaze would petrify any onlooker, Perseus observed Medusa indirectly through the reflective surface of the mirrored shield he had received from the goddess Athena. In the Metamorphoses, the Roman poet Ovid recounts the tale as Perseus approaches the lair of the Gorgon. Along the way in fields and by the roads, I saw on all sides men and animals, like statues, turned to flinty stone at sight of dread Medusa's visage. Nevertheless, reflected on the brazen shield I bore upon my left, I saw her horrid face. When she was helpless in the power of sleep, and even her serpent hair was slumber-bound, I struck and took her head sheer from her neck. To winged Pegasus the blood gave birth, his brother also twins of rapid wing. And in a manner of speaking, Medusa has children. In both passages, Hesiod's Theogony and Ovid's Metamorphoses, we learn that the blood spilt from the severed head of Medusa gave birth to two creatures, brothers, Chrysior and the winged horse Pegasus. Yes, the majestic Pegasus sprung from the gore of Medusa. 
We're all too familiar with the Pegasus, from fairy tales in My Little Pony to Clash of the Titans and Dungeons and Dragons. And to be entirely faithful to the Greek legend, there was only one Pegasus, not like the teeming hordes of unicorns and fire mares. We don't hear much about Chrysior, though. His name essentially means the dude with the golden weapon. And yeah, that's pretty much all there is to say about Chrysior. Except that he also had a son named Gurion, which is the name of a pretty wicked slice at Dante's Pizzeria in Chicago. Back to the matriarch, though. Medusa wasn't always such a beastly monster. In fact, even ancient authors relish in the ambiguous appearance of Medusa, at once both beautiful and terrifying. In an ode written in 490 BC, Pindar speaks of the fair-cheeked Medusa. A few examples of Greek vase painting depict the slumbering Medusa as not entirely unattractive, and many later images show a much more attractive Medusa. A few lines later in that passage from Ovid's Metamorphoses, Perseus recounts the background story behind Medusa, the cruel curse that damned this once beautiful maiden. Beyond all others, she was famed for beauty and the envious hope of many suitors. Words would fail to tell the glory of her hair, most wonderful of all her charms. A friend declared to me he saw its lovely splendor. Fame declares the sovereign of the sea attained her love in chaste Minerva's temple. While enraged, she turned her head away and held her shield before her eyes. To punish that great crime, Minerva changed the Gorgon's splendid hair to serpents horrible. And now, to strike her foes with fear, she wears upon her breast those awful vipers, creatures of her rage. So to translate that poetic speech, Medusa was raped by the god Poseidon in the temple to Athena, as punishment for apparently allowing herself to fall victim to the attack on sacred ground of the virgin goddess, Athena transformed the beautiful Medusa into the fiend we commonly know. At the end of that passage, Ovid also mentions the Aegis, or the Gorgonian, the face of Medusa worn upon the breastplate of Athena. Upon completion of his quests, Perseus gave the severed head of Medusa to Athena, which thereafter she proudly sported as an apotropaic device, meaning to turn away. Even today, the Aegis is regarded as a talisman to ward off the evil eye, not unlike the Eye of Horus in some cultures today. Interestingly, the Aegis and the Eye of Horus share a lot in common. In addition to both being protective talismans, they're both severed body parts, rent from the whole corpus in acts of violence. And despite that, they're both culturally and spiritually considered complete symbols in their own right, not mere fragments dislodged from some previous host and both also entwine serpentine imagery about the central protective device. Historians have often suggested that Medusa was not entirely the creation of the ancient Greeks, but that she was part of a vast inheritance of myths, religion, and imagery from the ancient Near East and from the Greek Bronze Age Minoan and Mycenaean civilizations. It's been suggested that the primordial Medusa could have been a snake goddess, a mistress of beasts, or perhaps a solar deity. The Egyptian Eye of Horus is closely connected to the Egyptian snake goddess Wajet, the patron goddess of Lower Egypt, the Nile's Delta region. We often see Wajet depicted as the Uraeus, the snake entwined about the solar disk, surmounting the heads of gods and perched upon the crown of Pharaoh. Wajet and the Eye of Horus are quite conceivably one of the many pre-Greek influences that shaped the Gorgon Medusa. The origins and imagery of Medusa is a startlingly vast topic, so we can only scratch the surface here. 
but do stay tuned for a future episode delving deeper into the primal realm of that nether being, the Gorgon Medusa. We'll dare confront the petrifying gaze of the monstrous fiend as we closely examine wondrous, salient works of ancient art exploring Medusa's roots, influences, and evolutions. Thanks for tearing into the Ancient Art Podcast. Behead yourself on over to ancientartpodcast.organs to gorge yourself on a feast of high-resolution imagery with detailed credits for this and other episodes, and to chant the Eldritch Scroll that is the transcript. Your witch's mirror of clairvoyance can scry the actions of the Ancient Art Podcast at facebook.com slash ancientartpodcast and twitter.com slash lucaslivingston. Do inscribe your mythic runes of commentary upon the walls of YouTube, iTunes, and Vimeo, and evoke the uncanny oracle of the podcast through diabolical incantations at feedback.ancientartpodcast.org, or light your broomstick to the email address of info at ancientartpodcast.org. As always, the shambling hordes of the abyss and I, your host, Lucas Livingston, thank you for tuning in to the Ancient Art Podcast. <laughs>